mind, soul, and strength. It is an internal worship out of love that influences actions. It influences how we see people. It influences how we treat them, how we respond to them, how we reach out to them. I encourage you to grab your note sheet. Uh, it looks something like that. I know, like I said, these are busy with the, the, an acronym behind in the backdrop, the disciple. We're on I and P today. But, you know, I hope that you're enjoying the series. I hope that it's been edifying. I, I know that it's kind of a training in a sense. The first half of it was really talking about becoming disciples, and we were really talking about that personal interaction with God, with His Word, and, and how to be disciples. And it's, it's us. We're talking about us, you know, and, and learning about what God wants of us as His children. And we've moved into disciples who make disciples. Um, and, you know, I want every message to be enjoyable, but uh, sometimes, you know, every vitamin tastes different, but they're all good for you, you know? So I do my best to make these things that I think are very important for us to learn. Sometimes it's more of a teaching. My messages, the, the format, uh, sometimes, you know, some guys are pretty straightforward. They'll be three-point message all the time. No matter what they're preaching, it fits in three points, and, and the, they don't have to change their outlines because the blanks just stay the same. You just write, you know, uh, and I'm kind of all over the place. Sometimes it's three points, sometimes it's 80. Um, and, but see, I pray for God to give me a message and, and to help me deliver it and help you take home notes that will help you with it as best as possible. So sometimes we're digging in one passage of Scripture more than others and you see it up there and you can soak in it for a while. And sometimes we're referring to it just to validate that there are several Scriptures that support the point of the message that God's wanting to say. And so we sometimes get off those faster than what some are just finding it in their Bible. And, oh, he's at the next one. And, um, and so I hope that you'll, you'll roll with the format of the messages and, and hear what God is wanting to say to us as he puts them together. But I hope that, it, that it's been enjoyable. It's, it's been fun to share it. And it's been fun to hear how some of you are listening and asking further questions and applying things that you're hearing in your life. Um, and, and it's just exciting to see. So, well, you got your note sheet there. If you've been, how many of you have ever been to a high school sport, sporting event of any kind? Any of you? Okay. Uh, you'll see in high school, at college. If you have, you've probably seen something that looks a little bit like this. Some table with some moms and some home-baked goods and some of the, some of the lemonade that's you know, one part lemonade powder and 2,000 parts water. Um, coffee on at cold football games or whatever. It's a booster club that is made up of folks who really care about the programs of the school. It may be athletics. It, you know, we've been using athletic images in our series, but there's booster programs for music programs. Um, and, and more and more in our public schools, as there's cuts in the state systems, a lot of these programs are getting cut where kids may not be able to learn an instrument. They may not be able to play a certain sport uh, and, and because the resources aren't there. And, and so sometimes booster clubs, they'll, they'll come and they'll help strengthen. They'll help raise money to pay for the uniforms for that year. Uh, they'll, they'll do something to help resource the team to help them succeed. And sometimes they're actually keeping the whole program afloat because they're determined as parents to say, we're going to have a music program in our school. And we're going to do everything in our power to make that happen. So you see these booster plug uh, programs that are out and around. And, and these clubs, uh, they can consist of current athletes, former athletes, parents of athletes. You see all the age ranges there. And you see the court in the background. Um, and, and maybe some of them might actually play. But the booster club is there trying to see how can we get our players on the court to be successful in the field of play. 
And how can we have them look as sharp as they can, be as sharp as they can, resource the coaches with resources they need to make them as good as they can? And how do we do this? And we let them we let them get on the court. The booster clubs aren't necessarily the ones who get out on the court and do the game. Okay. Now in the church, we're all in the game. We're all, but being a booster to others is a part of our game. Being an edifier and a resource to others. See, and what we're coming to in our series is the I and the P of disciple, of, of discipling others. So next week will be L-E. And guess what? That's the end of disciple. Uh, we'll have one more wrap-up message after that, and then we'll have some messages, from, a message from Dave and from Pastor Matt uh, coming up uh, as a break from our, as we're finished with our series, and a break from my voice for a couple of weeks. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing them. Uh, but we're in, the I is incorporate people in the life and ministries of the church. And the P is to pray daily for spiritual growth. Get them on the court and resource them. The best way to resource them is by praying for them. And so you see that in the title there of incorporate them into the life and ministries of the church and pray daily for them. We're wanting to call people from living a life that no matter what has shaped it, somehow it has been separated from the fullness of what it can be. We're born that way, being separated from God. And uh, a, there was a young man who had an anger, a grudge against somebody, and the way he, he found the world's answer to cope with his anger, um, and yet he still wanted to exact his anger, but the very answer of how he coped with it in a worldly way made him unprepared to cope with it in the way he wanted to, and it was out of anger, it was out of vengeance, but someone comes along and someone gets him involved in and resourcing him to turn his gifts into something productive.
From a drunkard with wasted talents to Zorro, uh, the legend, with those talents being used in legendary fashion, trying to lead people from a life of squander. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It may look like it's very fruitful. It may look very monetarily benefiting, and it may be. But if it's all for the house and it's all for the cars and it's all for that that looks so good, it's all for stuff that's going to disappear. And it's squandered. If that's all it's about, it is squandered. And we're calling people to see that there's a value in their life as a creation of God in the relationship with God that brings fullness to their life. It brings a new fullness in the midst of the car or in the house if you have it. It brings fullness to life without the car in the house if you don't. It, it transcends all these things that we see in a worldly fashion. And so we're calling them to something that's very different. They live in a world that has a message, and that message is contrary to God's message. And we have to be clear about that. You'll see some things on your outline here to follow along with in a few things. The, the world's message tells each person to say, you know what, I'm all I need. I'll take care of myself. A number one. And if I can get the cars and the houses and pay for these, you know, whatever it is, um, I am all that I need. But God's message confronts that and is very different. It says, really, you are an orphan without Christ. You, you are missing something in, in, in a sense of a familial belonging that, that you're designed to have. And, and you are an orphan and you're separated from the vine. You're a branch that will be dry and fruitless in the things that matter and eventually thrown into the fire. So the church's response in the world's message, but hearing God's message, is that we gather. People want to be alone. This is an isolated culture with the Internet and people on Facebook feeling like they have great relationships with people they really don't know. 
driving on the freeways. You can be sitting there. You can have more in the same space right here that we're in right now. You could have double the people in a parking lot called a freeway sitting right, right this far from you, closer than what you're sitting together now. I used to drive a Jeep and it was fun to drive the Jeep because every once in a while people would, you know, without the doors and stuff, they, they can't help but see like there's a whole body there. And so sometimes they'd be like, oh, you know. Um, but it just still is amazing how, and sometimes you're trying to be friendly and wave and sometimes it's someone you know and you're like trying to wave and honk and their radio is so loud. And, mm. We're just very isolated and, and separate from each other. But the church says, whoa, we want to be a part of something. We need to call you to come and be in fellowship, in relationship with God and with others. The world's message is, you know, I plan my life. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. My parents raised me. They tell me what to do long enough for me to learn how to tell myself what to do. But there comes a point where you're like, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. You can't tell me what to do. As long as you're under this roof, well, then I'm out front of this roof. And, you know, all that classic scenario, I plan my life. Well, God's message is that God gives direction. And if God gives direction, then the church's response is that we seek Him. See the difference? It's opposite of that. That From, from I'm all I need to gathering together because I need others. From I'm going to plan my life to I'm going to seek a plan from God. I'm going to seek His will for my life. I'm going to totally surrender my wants and desires and seek what he wants with me. The world's message is I'm in control. We know what that means. God's message is contrary. No, God is in control. Sherry has that on her bottom of her phone messages. Every time I get a text from her, uh, it it has that tag on it. It's her signature. God is in control. and usually it's because we feel totally out of control of things in the office, and so that's nice to have that tag on there all the time, huh, Sherry? Um, but I'm in control. Is the world's message God is in control? And so our response to that is we worship Him. See, worship is not just coming and singing songs, although that's part of it. But worship is we give Him that control. We submit our lives to Him. We're not just coming to sing to Him. We're coming to bring our lives on the altar and say, God, I am a burnt offering to You. That I want all that I do to be a sense that's pleasing and glorifying you in this world. And, and it, as Scripture says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So we come, we say, God, my life feels like the wheels are spinning off, but you're in control and I praise you. God, I may be hurting, I may be scared, but you're in control God, so-and-so may have said something, so-and-so may have let me down, but you are in control. He is not, they are not, I am not, this struggle is not. You are in control. And so the church calls people from that to a life of worship. The world's message is, I can use people, get up the corporate ladder. I can, I can step on people and, and, and not worry about them as long as it helps me get where I'm trying to go. Uh, and I need to put people in my life that make me feel complete. I need to find that, that mate, that spouse that fills this hole in my life. And, and uh, you know, I can use people. And, and, and that's kind of what our love is. If In the world's love, I love pizza. I love roller coasters. I love the things that make me feel good. So if you make me feel good, I'm going to put you into my life and that's going to make me feel good. I'm using you to make me feel good. But then after so many years of living with you and mud packs and curlers and bad breath, I don't feel so good anymore. I don't love you anymore. And that's but that's the world's message is I can use people. But God's message is that God uses people. 
God is the one who uses anyone who will submit their life to Him. He called the rough and the salty fishermen to be His disciples, as well as educated and tax collector. He called the gamut of folks. And His church was built uh, using all walks of life. And God is here today not to use you in the sense of exploit you. God values you. And wants to draw out of you the value He's placed in you, which then is your most fulfilling sense of value in your own life when it comes down to it. And so, if we know that God uses it, our, our response is that we rely. We rely on each other. We rely on God. And we rely on each other. It's a little scary sometimes to rely on each other because we know that others are imperfect. And, and sometimes it's a little scary to depend on them. And some people are less dependable in certain situations. But, but see, if God's in control and God can use people, all people, if God can use even me, I'm imperfect, and I believe that God can use me, then they're imperfect. God can use them in my life too. And let His Spirit help me discern what is right and true and good and beneficial in this relationship. But you see the difference? Look at the, the difference. I'm all I need. Just me. Gather into togetherness. I plan my life. I seek another plan from God. I'm in control. No, I worship and submit my life to the control of God. I'm a living sacrifice to Him. I can use people for my benefit. No, I'm going to rely on God that He can use me in the lives of others. And I'm going to let others be used in my life. That's opening up. That's, that's a different message. It's a whole different journey. And, and, and we're in this journey and we're talking about leading other people into it and having them take that step. That's a big step. Most of us have been in the church so much we're kind of used to being in church. But many times we've turned church into a way where we're just kind of guarded in some of those areas and we show up and we leave, and, but we're just really not... We're really, we come together, but we're not gathered sometimes, some of us. Uh, we believe that God is here and we'll sing to Him, but we're not really seeking His plan. We're trying to ask for Him to bless my agenda sometimes. We struggle in that. We all do. Um, and sometimes we're trying to control things. You know, so we, we struggle in all those things. But the people that we're learning, for us to become disciples who make disciples, we need to be growing in how we are doing this or else our leading others will be limited to what we're doing or not doing. So we're calling them in this big transition to, to desire that instead of being on their own and in control and going, and going to the lake and water skiing because they have a day off on Sunday, that they desire to gather together with God's people. We can't guilt people into that. We, we, we can't. So we, we, have a, we have a big job to do, and we must show and model that desire ourselves. That they say, why aren't you out there? I'd rather be in church. Or, what? Yeah, I'd rather be with, my, my, with God's people. Are there times you're at the lake? Sure, you need those times. Uh, you know, but not three days, three weeks a year. You know, um, uh, three weeks a month, I mean. Not three weeks a month. But... Uh, we need to be modeling for them this desire that they realize they can have too. So, we're calling them to some new things. Incorporating them in the life and the ministry of the church, it is every believer's new territory. This is our new territory. Hebrews, if you got that written down, we're going to move show you the Scripture and just a portion of it. Hebrews 9:13 to 14 I'll read the whole thing for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purifications of the flesh how much more he's talking about earthly sacrifice how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It's, it's the new realm that we're in. We're not serving me and my best interest. We kind of, in a way, discover that my best interest is his interest. His interest is my best interest. And, and, and we, what happens is in trying to build a world that's going to be demolished, we are building a world that's greater than ourselves, no matter what circumstance we're in. We're shifting from dead works to serving the living God. In your next verse, 1 Thessalonians, a small piece of it up here on the Scripture, but let me read the passage. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So you see... um, this new, this new territory that we are in, from dead works, squandered, finding the world's solutions to cope with our pain, with our fear. The, I don't want to see the bottom of this glass. I'm carrying a pain and I don't want to see the bottom of this glass. And yet, what a loss of quality of life that is to then turning from idols, things that we worship, the homes, the cars, that they're not our objects. If we have them, they become instruments of our worship of God. What God gives us in this life is all meant to be an instrument in our hands of worship of Him, of gratitude to Him, of praise to Him, and of using for His glory. So it's our every believer, every believer, that's you and me included, not just the ones we're trying to reach or disciple that are already fledgling in their faith. It's also every believer's new obligation. Here's that vitamin that doesn't taste so good I was talking about earlier. (laughs) Largely because how we perceive the word obligation. But if you remember, we don't hear this kind of talk. We've lost it with some other nice things that have been a part of our history and and culture and tradition. But you hear people when, when someone does something very gracious and very kind, that they'll say, oh, thank you, much obliged. Much obliged. Thank you. It's, it's, it's not the obligation, chore. It's as a believer in Christ, when we used to say that because someone opened a door for us or we, you know, whatever, someone picked up something that we dropped, the, the greater this, oh my goodness, I'm, so, I'm much obliged. I feel this sense of how can I repay you? You hear that and see that in so many things. When people are like, how can I repay? Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, but my heart wants to. How can I? I feel obliged in this warm, awesome sense of gratitude. And so that's the word obligation that we're talking about. It is our sense of every believer's sense of obligation. That Again, the greater the, the, the graciousness of the act, the greater the gratitude and the obligation Oh, much obliged. And God has saved us from eternal death, eternal fire, eternal punishment through grace, forgiving us of our sins and giving us a new future in our hope in Christ. Thank you, God. How can I repay? I'm much obliged to you. Thank you. And the Scripture Hebrews, the first reference you have there, says this, concerning him we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, there's an ought to be, that's an obligation, you ought to be teachers, 
You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So this new world that we're talking about, this new obligation is we ought to be growing in Christ. Not needing again the the foundation. The gospel is always the foundation. And we try to infuse it in every message in here for folks at different places of their journey that are here listening to the same message. But that's a, there's a time when most of us should turn and say, oh, he's starting to ask people if they need to receive Christ. It's time for me to pray because this part's not necessary for me. I've already received Christ. It's time for me to pray because we're gathered together to help everyone grow in this process. And now that he's saying that part, you know, and, and, and some churches don't do it. So then you have churches like Calvary Chapel and, and, and Harvest that every message is evangelistic and then they funnel you into other avenues. And it's wonderful. and It's great. But we try to keep a balance in the life of the church. We ought to be growing. We ought to be moving on to spiritual meat. And how do we do it? By practice. By practice. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. So how do they practice? By being incorporated into the life and the ministries of the church. They may be ministries that build us up. They may be ministries that reach out to others. But when you come and start serving, there's a maturity that takes place that does not from just hearing. There comes a time in the life of the church and every believer, we've got to stop just talking about Jesus as beautiful and as wonderful as that is. And we've got to start learning how to be Jesus. Because that's the, that's the more beautiful and wonderful step that talking about Him takes us to. And it can be warm and fuzzy all the time. And, and there's churches that are warm and fuzzy all the time. But uh, by practice, we grow up and we mature. In Hebrews, another place that refers to it moving from milk to meat. Galatians 6.10, your other reference there. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our new obligation as believers, we are now part of a household of faith. And God's Word says, do good to everyone. We talked about this before in establishing a new portion of our community offering that you you throw some extra in as you leave on the first Sunday when we have communion. So people coming in off the streets, can they need gas money, they need a night in a hotel, they need some food and the food bank is empty or not been open or uh, whatever crises these things are. And believe, you know, we are, we listen and we pray and we seek discernment. We don't always just throw money at everybody. I want you to know that. But to have it and to be able to help when we really feel like God is saying this person is not just exploiting, you're not just enabling this person, you really will be helping this person. Um, it's nice to have that. But we talked about how God prioritizes that, that we need to have some resources for people in the household of faith because His Word says that. Do good to everybody, sure but especially to the household of faith. A lot of people go out there and do good to all these charities and, and they think, well, God will let me in heaven because, see, I do this for them, I do this for them, I do this for them. But they're nowhere involved in edifying the body. And, and so, so here we see that they need to be incorporated in the life and ministries of the church. We have some uh, that are in our midst. They're not here today, but they have a worldwide ministry. And we miss them a lot because they're traveling a lot. But they love being a part of this fellowship and and come and consider this their home church. And they need that home church. They need a place where people know them 
and they know others and they can be a part of edifying each other. Now, as we talk about this, it's every believer's new territory. It's obligation. Again, we want it to be that much obliged feeling. But I have a quote here. And I hope you haven't felt this through this series. Because this, you know, this guy says this, God's people cannot be shamed into serving God. And my intent has never been to shame by saying what God's calling us to do, what we need to be doing, what we ought to be doing. I'm not trying to heap shame on anybody. And I apologize if it's come across that way ever. But here's, I embrace this truth that God's people cannot be shamed into serving God. They need to be challenged. God's people need to be challenged. And so the next blank you have there is it's our new territory, our new obligation. It's every believer's new source of fulfillment. It, it is a call, to, a loving call for you to experience more of what God is designing you to be. No longer squandering the gifts and abilities, the talent, the, the personality, the who you are that's out there more often in the, in the work world just enjoying interaction with secular folks, which is great, but there's a new purpose in that that you're using that personality with them to reach them and be a part of gathering them to bring them into what God has for them. And, and it becomes this new source of fulfillment. And, I, and, and as I lift these things up, the ought to's, the obligations, the, it's not to have you go home going, man, I'm just, I feel like I can never be enough for Pastor James in this church. I, feel, I, I don't want you to feel that way. I, want, I am lifting up to you what we can all continue to grow in I'm pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. Committed, submitted to the call of my life. And I'm telling you, I'm growing and the fulfillment continues to open up to me many times recently seeing and hearing how you are responding to God's Word. Not as personal pat on the back, but just excitement and humbling me to see God doing stuff and, and, and the joy that we're going to have something great together the more we do that together. And, and so it's a new source of fulfillment. John 4.34 Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We've talked about this before, but it's such a struggle in our humanity. Feed me. Feed me. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. Yeah, the plant in Shop of Horrors. We used the clip not too long ago. But we try to find the place where we can sit and have food dumped in our lap. <laughs> and, 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 and people are flocking to, to places where all the bells and whistles of ministry are going and all the flat panel TVs and, and all, all this and that. And, and it is a wonderful environment. I go to some on vacations and staycations and it's a wonderful environment. But all that stuff has come out of a body of people who submitted themselves to say, my food is to do. And I'm going to use my TV technology to be a part of a film crew. I'm going to use my technology experience and, and wiring experience. And we're going to put up some flat panel TV so folks can be. A, and we're going to set up. I, I'm a barista. We're going to set up a coffee shop, Matt. And we're going to see a start. No, no, no. You're not going to do that. Okay. Um, and, 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 and it comes out of the people that, that this, it's the vibrancy and the vitality. And we come and visit and go, Wow. And that's exactly what God wants to do among us. Not that we have to look like that other church or do that or we have to have class. No, but what God will stir you to do when you realize, oh, this is where I get fed. Man, unfortunately, I have to spend 40 hours a week doing this stuff for a paycheck. I can't wait to get to the church and do a couple hours of helping it come and be a part of my body's experience. 
Because my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And, and, and I, I'm going to serve in the body and I'm going to use, if He's got me in this other job, 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week. Well, that's my contact with people who need to be gathered and reached and, and be salt to and light to and have them become a part. And we find the fulfillment of service. Serving God. You've heard the illustration from me before of a, of a desert well that you, you've traveled, you've been stranded in a desert, you've walked so far, you're weak, you can only take, you know, who knows how much longer you can walk. You definitely cannot walk as far as you did to get out where you are. Totally lost, drying and parched in the hot sun, and there's this well that you come upon. A pump, old pump well, and, and, and it's surrounded by some rocks, and you start cranking and pumping on this thing and nothing. And, and you're walking around to see if something's loose, and you see this this note sticking out of the rocks and you pull this rock out and there's a jug of water. A gallon jug of water there. That's what you need is water. I'm parched. I'm dying. I'm thirsty. And you want to just take that jug and, la, 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 and drink it. And, and But you're so far out. And this note says, this jug of water, use it to prime the pump. Takes all of it. Do not drink any of this. Use this whole jug to prime the pump and you will have all the water you need. And so you sit there with this decision. I am so thirsty. Here's water right here. What if the bladder is cracked and broken down there? What if I pour this gallon jug? I have to trust this pump to work. And I poured this water down there and here I am about to die and I'll have nothing. I better just drink this thing and see if I can make it on my own. Or do you pour it down and trust the pump? (laughs) Well, Jesus today is saying, look, Pour yourself out for my kingdom. And there will be a wellspring of living water that comes out. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. And there will be freshness and newness in your life that you've never experienced before. We want to take what we have and control it and own it and not pour it out. But Jesus says, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And pouring yourself in will prime the pump. Hebrews, the next reference you have also gives us a sense of fulfillment. Because sometimes in this world, the service is sacrificial. Sometimes that sacrifice to others may not seem worth it. Like some of our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East, that they've given the ultimate sacrifice. They could have, they could have um, disavowed their faith in Christ and claimed faith in Allah. And still been with their children. They could have just simply done that. But serving God sometimes takes a sacrifice. And, and, and for us, so far in our country, it's not that extreme. But Hebrews says this, that for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. God sees. Those folks who gave that ultimate sacrifice, God is not unjust. He has not overlooked their sacrifice. And what He's calling us to sacrifice, what He's calling us to do, he, and He's calling us into something that when once we sacrifice, we're like, well, that wasn't a sacrifice. This is great. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes it's still just a, a, a hard labor, depending on what we're called to. But another quote 
And this is to bring us from that one quote that says, people of God cannot be shamed into serving God, but must be challenged. And here is a truth that I have found to be true in my own life. And many in here have found it. Quote, I don't know who T.W. Manson is. So as long as it's not Marilyn Manson, we're okay. T.W. Manson. Quote, in the kingdom of God, service is not a stepping stone to nobility. It is nobility. The only kind of nobility that is recognized. Service in the kingdom of God is nobility. There's a verse that says that this is religion that God accepts. Taking care of the widows and the orphans. And, and, and people want to read that and say, well, if I do that, then God accepts me. No, that, that's an action. What he's talking about is an action that's coming out of that heart of submission to God that we're doing. We're looking, we're serving, we're loving, we're pouring out for God. And it is the highest sense of nobility that's present in the kingdom. So we need to incorporate them in the life and ministry of the church. We need to also, before we go today, let's look at praying daily for their spiritual growth. Uh, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So we have to be thinking for each other, praying for each other. And here's some things, some clues as we pray. We must pray plugged in for all believers. Plugged in for all believers. What do I mean by plugged in? I had a, a friend in one of my other churches, he called it being on broadband. And he, you know, he says, I know some people that I can share my prayer requests because I know that when they're praying, they're on, they're on broadband. They're on high-speed connection with God. And, and I want them to be praying for me because I see the, the, the effectiveness of their prayers. And, and, and so we, we have to all be plugged in for all believers and, and the lost as well. But Ephesians, um, the scripture that we have for that, tells me about being plugged in. says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. That's the plugged in. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And, and, it, and it's not the saints that you go visit at the Catholic Church when you, and you visit this one when you need this kind of prayer. And you visit, no, the saints are people who've given their lives to God. They're serving God. They're living worship. They're living sacrifices, worshiping God. And we are to be praying for all people in the kingdom, but we have to be plugged in. There have been several times, there was a stretch there when Griffin was a certain age, that we'd go back in our room and Amy's clock would be off, like the power went off or something. And, 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 you know, so we'd look and jiggle the cord in the back and it wouldn't come on. We'd look down and follow the cord and it's plugged in. And, and, and we're like, well, maybe the clock has, has gone bad or something. Well, after a couple of times, we started to realize that Griffin was attracted to the little red light on the power button on the power strip. And he liked to turn that light off. And so the power strip was off. It all looked good. It looked connected, but the power was turned off. And a lot of times our prayers sound right, sound good, use the right name of Jesus and God. But sometimes in our, our desire, and all we're doing is bringing our desires and dumping them off with Him, we're missing the power of prayer, of asking God to, that we're interceding for Him. We're trying to connect His power with someone else. We're, we're calling on Him for them. We're agreeing with His Spirit's desire for them. Prayer can sound like it's plugged in, but the power can be turned off. And so pray in the Spirit. Jesus said, pray in my name. You ask anything in my name, it will be done. We take that in the name of the flesh and say, I want this and I want that and I want this. Oh, in the name of Jesus. And, and then it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't happen, we're like, well, that didn't work. But 
And there's people who teach that. No, to pray in the name is to pray according to His will, to pray according to His Spirit, to pray that, God, what you want to have happen, that's what I want to have happen. What your name wants to be, how your name wants to be lifted up in this, I want your name to be lifted up in this. Show me, help me how to be a part of that. But I pray for these folks that, that they'll experience your will. For your Spirit is already interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. Who am I to think I know better what they need than you are? So Lord, you help me get on your page. I'm just coming in harmony with the Holy Spirit who's agonizing for your will to be realized in their life. And God, I'm agonizing with you for them. And for myself. <laughs> and, and that's the power that we have of prayer. We must pray for our churches to be synergistic. I looked it up. It's an actual word. Um, but it could have been synergetic or synergistic. But synergy is an action between individual parts or forces that produces a total result that is greater than the sum of the individual results. So it's when something comes together, it creates a greater energy than what they could have done at the same time on their own. That the church becomes... Synergistic. Philemon tells us what we're praying for for this. That this is where we want our church to be. This is when we when we really get serious and, and we and we're growing in this together and we're seeing it happen. We're becoming a synergistic place, folks. I I, I am so excited about what I see and sense taking place, and, and and we're becoming this. I pray that your partnership with us. This is what we're praying for. For people, as we're trying to incorporate them in the life of the ministry, we want them to come and join us, but not just to fill the pews so we can make a good report at district assembly. Our prayer is that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. We pray that as you come among us, this is an environment where we will all grow together. You will grow together. That your partnership for you come and partner with ministry for us, not just so we can have all these things and bells and whistles, but that you are growing and learning how God wants to use you the way he has shaped you. And you are becoming mature through practice as a follower of Christ in this place. So synergistic. We also need to know that as we come to pray, we must pray from a justified heart. We must pray from a justified heart. Meaning that God sees us as hearts after His own. It doesn't mean that we're perfect in the flesh. This verse sometimes can be confusing in James. Uh, the end of this verse, James five fourteen to 16 the last part of it. But um, I'm going to read a little bit more. Is any of, anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing him with oil. And we needed to do an anointing service here soon. We haven't done one for a while. Next Sunday, we'll make it. Next Sunday, we're going to do an anointing service. I want you to be praying about it. If you're sick, I want to pray for you. I think this verse may have hindered some of us from feeling like we can pray for each other. But Anyhow, sorry. I digress, um, or I, I tangent. Um, there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is taking place in some of our community groups, people sharing their struggles and being prayed for. But listen to this last sentence. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
And I think sometimes, you know, many times I find myself, I'll be by hospital beds, and I so desperately want to see God do one of those miracle healings where the doctors are saying one thing and God's going to say, uh-uh. And, and, and I'm just, oh, Lord, I've not seen you do this for a while. I have, I have seen folks who come and pray in our living room with cancerous masses in their bodies that they go weeks later and it's gone with no medical procedures yet, going to get it checked out. It was evident, it was visible, and it's gone. I have seen demons being cast out of people, but I've seen probably more often than not, we pray and ask for the healing, and it doesn't come. At least the way we thought we wanted to see it. And so I'll stand there and say, Lord, don't let any unrighteousness in me hinder my prayer for this beloved soul. I want my prayer to be effective, God. Don't let any shortcoming of mine. And we get this image that righteous means perfect or flawless. But righteous means justified. Righteous means that I, as best as I know, as best as I can be, am totally submitted to God. And I know that I fall short of His glory every day. And I depend on Him to help me in the struggle. But I know, I know that I fall short. But as I've applied the blood of Christ on my life, God sees me as His Son, completely unhindered. And I come. Remember, the we talked about last week, the publican who stood and prayed, and, and the Pharisee was like, I'm glad I'm not like him, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. And Jesus' parable had the publican say, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. And Jesus said, this is the one who went away justified. And so when we come justified, we come knowing, God, we're so grateful we get to come and talk to you. It is only by your son, Jesus, and his blood on the cross, him dying for me, and and me coming to accept that, that I needed that, and and I've received that word. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And your word says that now I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And God, I'm just coming, asking for your grace to be evident in the situation. I'm coming in confidence, not in my perfection, but in the perfection of your love for me. And the honesty of your word, and you do not lie. And so I come confidently able to ask a holy God for your will to be done in my life and in this situation. That's praying from a justified heart. Humble. You don't have to get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I've I've reached this badge in my um, caravan level, so now I can pray for others. You know, it's not a measurement standard. Another quote before we go today. And I know we have a few more blanks. You're going, my goodness, we've got a lot more blanks. We're going to throw those in pretty quickly here at the end. To be guilty of the sin of prayerlessness is to be guilty of the worst form of practical atheism. That's a powerful statement. I don't even have the name of the guy who said it. But to be guilty of the sin of prayerlessness, remember we talk about the power? <laughs> Practical atheism is living like there's no God. That the practice of my life is like there really is no God. And, and most of what I do, I could do without a God. And, and, and to not pray, it, it turns even coming here to church into a practical act of atheism. Because we can come to church. There's a lot of churches that don't believe in Jesus and have no flow of the Holy Spirit, but they do a lot of the same things that we do. And, and, and so prayer is the interaction between us and God that, that brings His power, elicits His power in our life and through our lives for others. So we must pray for all believers and especially the lost 
that, that we can be used in their life. And so pray these things for the people that you're, that you are interceding for. Pray that they will realize their present exalted position in Christ. Now, definitely if it's a believer, they already have this, they have salvation, they've got grace, they're a child of God through faith. But you know what, folks? In a way, the people that are lost that you're praying for, they think that God is purely a God of judgment and anger and hatred. And, and there is an exalted position for the lost. Wouldn't you consider it an exalted position if he would leave all of us here to go find one that's lost? That's an exalted position for that person. He would go for them before he'd stay here with me. Their priority for him is an exalted priority. He loves them. His favor is upon them. He has died for them. They may not be experiencing that favor, but he's the one that they're, they're the one he's going to go get when given opportunity. So the loss that we're praying for, they need to know that they're not just sitting waiting judgment and afraid of a God of judgment. They need to know that he's a God of love and they have an exalted position that he died for them. Yes, he's judged, but he died so he wouldn't have to judge them because he loves them. And so be praying that they'll realize and sense his love and that they'll help you become an instrument of that, convincing of that in their life. Pray that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We think this is such a mature point in, in, in sometimes in the Nazarene doctrine of holiness and, and saying it's the second work of grace, which it does happen secondarily, but I think it, ha- it often happens uh, simultaneously as well. But there's progressive sanctification. That's the process. But there's a crisis of sanctification where you totally give and submit to it. But it can happen simultaneously. But being filled with the Spirit is the difference. It's the batteries for the flesh. It's the batteries that were lost. We're born with the colors and trying to figure out how the arms move and all that stuff. And we learn how to make it function some way. But then when the Holy Spirit comes, it's batteries. And whoa, this is how it's supposed to go. And we need to be praying that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that they'll be regular in the systematic, the regular and systematic in the study of God's word. Sorry, be regular and systematic in the study of God's word. It's a source of knowledge. We need to pray for a hunger. We can't shame people into reading the word. It won't be effective. And I don't want to shame you into it. But it's a source. It's a source. Pray that they'll grow daily in Christian maturity. And of course, we know that that comes from knowledge, but knowledge that is played out in the practice. And, and becomes uh, more of a source of wisdom than just knowledge that puffs up, puffs up. That they appropriate the full armor of God. Pray for them. That they will realize that they have an enemy. That as God starts doing things in their life, He's going to start attacking. He's going to start shooting flaming arrows at them. That's what Scripture says. Put on the full armor of God as to extinguish uh, and, and use the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy who is Satan. That they will come undercover. They will choose to be in certain places and not to be in certain places. But they will also just walk in faith and with the Word and in prayer and truth. Pray that they will not love the world's system. Remember the world's system. I'm all I need. It's not true. I'm in control. That's not true. Pray that they will not love that system. Pray that they will engage in prayerful worship. 
prayerful worship, interactive worship. That's interaction with the Spirit. That's a spiritual engagement that, you know, sometimes the songs that we do up here, um, you know, sometimes there's, I've heard, you know, when it's a solo, we don't really get to sing along. And then there, and, and some of you disengage. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you. Listen to the words and the message of the song. We, we really want everyone to participate all the time. Please know that in the worship set, when there's a solo, it's not meant for you just to stop and then listen, as wonderful as the solos are. It really is meant for you to continue to sing along. But if you can't, if it's a difficult song and you can't, listen to it and stay engaged with the Spirit of God. I mean, that song, you know, that was about a dad singing about his home, wanting him to lead them. Uh, you know, we still, we're trying to lead other people into the kingdom. We're trying to, Lord, help me be who I need to be to lead them. To lead my family in the kingdom. To lead my coworkers in the kingdom. Lord, help me to be, and, and be determined that when we're in worship, it's going to be prayerful and it's coming from my desire, not from what's up here. I'm going to worship Him no matter what. Pray that they will be, um, that they'll be involved in an accountability relationship. Someone they can talk to, confess struggles with, and pray with. And then pray that they themselves will reach out to the unsaved. It's a lot of things to remember, but, but put these things in your prayer. Help people overcome hurdles. Help people uh, defeat the enemy's struggles, uh, attempts to cause them to struggle and to stop. My discipling them won't get them into a role in the church. It won't make them mature if I am not doing it myself. I can't take anybody anywhere that I am not. And so what we need to be is we're looking at reaching new people, incorporating them in the life and ministry of the church, and praying daily for their spiritual growth is it comes out of this. It makes it uncomfortable for us, but ache for the lost makes way for the lost. Ache for the lost makes way for the lost. I may have been doing something a certain way in the life of the church and some new person comes in who wants to do it. If I ache for them to grow and mature, then I need to let them have opportunity. And they may not do it the way I did it. I need to move out of the way. And we as a fellow, and it's not necessarily moving out of the way, but it's usually shifting around because when God brings more puzzle pieces, more puzzle pieces need, can be fit. And, and it all becomes incorporated. It's not replacement. It's not them or me. It's them and me. But I have to let them be the puzzle piece they're meant to be and, and, and not try to control or be afraid. See, it brings change. Many of you have been in this church for a long time together. And a lot of the people that you've known really well over those years are not here anymore. And it's changed a lot. And there's a lot of new faces. It's not the church it used to be to you as far as that fellowship. You still have the pocket of people. And, and, and it's wonderful because we need to have those pockets of people. But when we start making way, and, and it's not about what I find when I get there, it's what do others find when they come here. We are engaged in those relationships as well. As I said before, become the fellowship for others and you'll find yourself in deep fellowship. And, and, and so look for people who need to be connected. Look for people who need to serve. Make way in your areas for ministry. Think of ways that they can help add to your ministry. That's how a, a single video camera up there that starts to webcast our, our program eventually becomes one with big boom 
uh, cameras that guys are sitting in the seats with the headphones on and moving the booms around and, and, and editors in a big editing booth that are putting it all. Now, I'm not saying that's what I want to do, but I'm just giving an example of it starts with someone who, who says, hey, man, we're going to we're going to webcast this thing. And let's hey, you know, someone else knows how to do this. Oh, let's get them doing some mixing. Oh, someone else knows how to do this. Let's and, and, and boom, the ministry just starts going and growing, not so we can have the bells and whistles, but so God's people have place to serve and their gifts and abilities in a way that edifies the body and makes a vital, vibrant place of ministry for people who find their way in among us, that they want to be caught up in it and be a part of it. The heart that people need to find when we're out there praying, we're out there seeking, what I want them to find is this, that we in here are 150 ministers, that we're here for the ones that aren't here yet. We're not here just for ourselves. Oh, we want to be edified. Yes, we, but we start stepping into service, folks. And we start picturing we're here to get equipped together for the next new person that walks through the door. We're 150 people here that we're here for those who aren't here yet. And, and how do we get ready for them? How is this environment for them? How are we looking for them and responding to them when they come? Oh, it affects everything. And so remember, you have your bookmarks to be praying for these people. Be praying those things in your list. I know it's intimidating. It can be. It can be scary to go and be praying and asking God to give you opportunity. And then you have to have the courage when opportunity comes to ask questions and start talking about your faith. It can be scary. But remember, world's message. I'm in control is wrong. God is in control. And so will you respond today with worship? God, I'm trying to control my comfort zone, the comfort zone of my church, the comfort zone of my workplace, my secular relationships. But God, you are in control. And I lay down control of my own comfort and submit my life to be a living sacrifice to you for worship. As the worship team comes, they're going to lead us in this closing uh, role, this response time, responding to God's word. Will you commit? To worship God. Will you commit to be a living sacrifice for Him? Will you lift your hands and worship Him verbally and, and actively through the song, but in committing your life to be an instrument for Him? Heavenly Father, as we come to You today, I thank You. Thinking about the years, Bellflower, Church of the Nazarene, and moving here to this facility, if we took all the hours of songs that have been sung and hands that have been raised and the, the practice of worship that's taken place in here, oh, how many hours has it been? And they've been rich. They have a rich heritage. Father, this building is going to disappear someday. And what's going to last is what we today are building for you. And so will you call us, those of us who are newer among us, those of us who've been here a long time, will you just speak to each of our hearts and say, are you worshiping me? Is even your church becoming a, it's, it's, it looks plugged in, but the power has been turned off? My child, stop looking for the wrong things and worship me. Just worship. In some ways, Nike had it right. Just do it. Just worship me. Give your life to me in service and watch the pump flow with living water. I love you and I died for you. Not that you have a dry, thirsty experience, but that if you would, I gave myself for you, that if you'd give yourself for me, my life would spring up in you. 
So will you today commit as we sing this song, I will worship you. Lord, call us to that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. if you sense it today or not, but for some reason, delivery of the message was a battle for me, and I confess that to you today. But it was something I meant to say before. Our enemy doesn't want us to understand this. Our enemy doesn't want us to get this. 
I hope and pray that that my battle and delivery today was not a hindrance to the message. And I pray that that we will give Satan a black eye and say, you know, we're going to become this kind of church. It doesn't have to look this way or look that way. It just has to look the way God moves it to be as we become faithful and obedient to him. And so we want to go today with, with saying, Satan, get behind us. We are going to be enlisted and enlist others in, in the kingdom work in this place. And we're going to become a powerhouse for the kingdom. No matter what your efforts are, you're battling with our pastor and distracting him in his preaching. But you know what? That's just sign that this is important. And so we're going to claim what's always ours in faith in you. And that is victory in Jesus. Let's sing that before. I know it's late, but let's sing that. Let's go in victory in Jesus.